how should Christians worship? In particular, how should Christians worship when they come together as a church? Well, depending on your background, depending on some of your preferences, you may have different answers to that. Uh, I, throughout high school and throughout college, I had several different jobs that I would work during the summer. And so my, my first job ever was lawn care. And the nature of my job had a lot to do with the, the job title that I had. So I would consistently carry around a weed whacker, and that's what the guy allowed me to do. He said, you're not going to hop on the mower, you're going to just do the weed whacking. So I did a lot of weed whacking. And then another summer, I had a job in construction. And so based off that job, I wasn't carrying a weed whacker. I was carrying drills and carrying wood and just helping out however they needed me to help out as a college student. And then one summer, I worked at a window factory. And the nature of that job changed with that title. And I was now moving windows around. I wasn't picking up pieces of wood, wasn't doing any drilling. I'm just moving finished windows from one part of the factory to the other part of the factory. And then later, I got a job, uh, an internship at an insurance company where I predominantly sat at a desk and just made a ton of cold calls. And that was just pure joy. <laughs> but with each job, depending on the nature of the job, the nature of my work changed. And I would submit to you that the text that we're looking at, Paul makes the case that when we gather, our worship should reflect the God that we worship. Just as my various different jobs reflected the job title that I was given, our worship, when we come together, should reflect the God that we worship. So Paul, if you're joining us this morning, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been going passage by passage. It's called expositional preaching, just trying to let the text expose itself to us. So we've been going passage through passage, and Paul has been writing to this young church in Corinth. Corinth was a very metropolitan city, very transient. It was a port city, so people would come and go all the time. There were all kinds of religious practices. And for a young church... There were plenty of issues. And Paul had come and shared the gospel, and people believed, and so a church was birthed. And Paul was writing to them, trying to ensure that they stayed faithful. And when he writes 1 Corinthians to them, this is actually his second letter to them, but when he's writing to them, he's addressing several issues. No less than ten issues. Depending on how you break it up, there could be even more that Paul addresses. And so we won't do a full recap on that, but the overall theme of this book that Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, the theme that he keeps hitting home, the drum that he keeps beating, is that they would be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. They would be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapters 11 through 14, Paul is focusing on how they should worship when they come together. So in the first part of 11, he addressed some of the issues that were going on with the blurring of gender distinctions. That authority and headship and submission, all those things were, were being blurred and thus it was blurring God's glory. And so he, he tells them to knock that off. And then in the latter part of chapter 11, the second half, Paul addresses some of the issues that were going on at the Lord's Supper. In chapter 12, he lays out some spiritual gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, but he says, hey, these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you, they're not meant to build yourself up. They're meant to build up the body. Chapter 13, he says that Love drives our use of those gifts. We're not going to build up one another if we don't have love for one another. In chapter 14, where we find ourselves, in the first 25 verses, Paul explains what some of these uh, gifts are, some of these more uh, public gifts of prophecy and tongues. 
Now, the Corinthians, they were all about utilizing these spiritual gifts, but insofar as they built themselves up. And so because they wanted to build themselves up, many of them were using some of the more public gifts of prophesying and tongues. They weren't concerned about the rest of the church body. They were concerned about themselves. And so this, this passage, chapter 14 in particular, uses the word speak, the Greek word there, speak, 24 times. It, there's no other chapter in the Bible that comes even close. The second closest is John 8, where it's used 11 times. And so Paul is really making his argument for how we should utilize the public speaking gifts that the Holy Spirit gives the church. He wants them to use them properly. So like I said in the first 25 verses, he talks about what these public speaking gifts are, at least two of them that were causing issues. And then in these last 15 verses, he talks about how to use them. And so we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. So if you would turn there, that's where we're going to be. And if you're using one of the blue provided Bibles, that's gonna, you're going to find that on page 960. And if you don't own a Bible, then just consider that our gift to you. Please take that home, and we, we hope and pray that you will read it and be edified by it. But 1 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament, so flip toward the end of your Bible, probably about four-fifths of the way through, 80% in. You'll find 1 Corinthians, and we are going to be looking at chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. Big numbers in your Bible are going to be the chapters, the small numbers are the verses. So starting in verse 26, Paul writes to the Corinthians this. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. If they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these 15 verses. We pray that as we look at them, that you would give us clarity as to what it looks like to worship you in a way that reflects who you are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul's broken up this passage in, in three ways, uh, three sections, and each are kind of answering what it should look like when the corporate church comes together, when we come together for that corporate, all-together gathering on the first day of the week like we are today. And so he lays out three things, and you'll find these in your bulletin. The first is this, that the church gathering 
should build up. The church gathering should build up. The second is that the church gathering should be distinct. And the third is that the church gathering should reflect Scripture. Church gathering should build up, should be distinct, and should reflect Scripture. So looking at that first one, Paul has established, he did this last week, and we went through this in the first 25 verses of chapter 14 last Sunday. But he established the priorities, the parameters, and the purpose of tongues and prophesying. And so now, Paul explains the mechanics of how to use those within the gathering. So he says, when you come together, you see that in, in verse 26, when you come together, which means that he's still talking about the corporate gathering. So we know we're still in that section of Paul's argument. So when you come together, and then he lists several speaking gifts. You can see that. He says, a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Now all of these are audible gifts. They're all some sort of speaking gifts. And, and again, this is not an exhaustive list. D.A. Carson points out that all of Paul's lists in 1 Corinthians, none of them are meant to be exhaustive. And so Paul's making an argument here, but don't think these are the only speaking gifts that the Spirit can equip us with. But what Paul's getting at is that each of these still fall under the umbrella of all things. So he says there that all things, let all things be done for building up. Now that's Paul's consistent drum, again, that he's trying to be in this portion of his letter. That whatever gift you have, it should be used for building up the body, not just yourself. And we, we know that because he mentions it in verse 4, he mentions it in verse 5, he says it again in verse 17, and now we see it in 26. So Paul's consistently saying, hey, these gifts are meant to build up the body. So, therefore, when it comes to prophesying and when it comes to tongues, how do we use them to build up the body? Soren Kierkegaard says that wherever upbuilding is, there's love. And wherever love is, there's upbuilding. So wherever upbuilding is, there's love. And wherever love is, there is upbuilding. So how do these gifts upbuild? Well, the answer is that when they're used in an orderly way. In verse 27 and 28, Paul gives instruction for tongues. So he says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. So notice that with tongues, he says that there's a limited number. He says at most three, that there, it's in turn, so one at a time, and that the accompanying gift is required, interpretation. So if any of those things are not taking place, then the tongues are not, are not to be used. We'll talk a little bit more about what those were um, later on. However, we see a similar pattern when it comes to prophesying. So where we saw a limited number, Paul does the same thing with prophesying. So there's a limited number, which, which, is, which is partially why we don't have open mics. So if, if anyone feels like they have the need to say something, we don't just have open mics because we say, hey, it should be a limited number, and there should be no, two to three, and it should be in turn, one at a time. So that's why there's not a mic here, and a mic over there, and a mic over there, because what was happening at the Corinthian church is that everyone was speaking whenever they felt like it. And it was causing a lot of confusion. Because some were speaking in a different language, in a tongue. Some were speaking uh, instruction, prophetically. And just all kinds of mass chaos. And so Paul 
when it comes to tongues and when it comes to prophesying. He says there's a limited number. And in turn, one by one, and then the accompanying gift is required. So with tongues, it's interpretation. With prophesying, it's discernment. He says that the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So they're to, to use those who have the gift of uh, giving instruction from God's word. They are to weigh what is said. So anytime I say something up here, you guys, as reasonable people, are to test those things against the scriptures. Don't just take it at face value because I'm saying it. It's always meant to be in line, in line with the scriptures. So, why does Paul lay out these guidelines? He gives us the reason in the first part of chapter, excuse me, verse 33. So look at verse 33. He says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Not a God of confusion or of disorder. That, that word for confusion could also be uh, translated as disorder, but of peace. And the Corinthian church's chaotic worship was causing great confusion. And so when we come together as a church, it's meant to build up one another, as Paul consistently says throughout this chapter. And it builds up when it's done orderly. When it reflects clarity, not confusion. When it reflects peace, not chaos. Because God himself is a God of peace. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order, not disorder. Of peace, not chaos. Clarity, not confusion. And God has, consist has consistently been clear with his people. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see that early on with Adam and Eve, he gave them a clear command. You can eat of all the trees in the garden, just not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He was clear with them. And they fell short of that. And with Israel, through his word, God gave clear commands, summarizing his moral law. And he even gave them more laws for their particular time and place. And yet, they still fell short of it. But he didn't stop there. So with his word, he was clear with Adam and Eve, and with his word, he's clear with Israel. And now we see with his word, John 1.14, we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The man Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into flesh and dwelt among us so that we may know him clearly. God has always been clear with his people. We're given the clearest depiction of God possible in Jesus Christ. The problem is we consistently reject what God has clearly shown us. However, for all who entrust themselves to Christ, for all who entrust themselves to the Word made flesh, they are brought into a right relationship with God. And they get to see God clearer and clearer for all eternity. God has always been clear. So church, let's do our best. That so when we come together, let's do our best to ensure that our worship is clear and orderly. Because that's the kind of worship that builds one another up. So Christian, strive for clarity. As a church, we're to strive for clarity in our corporate gathering. As individuals, we're to strive for clarity in the way that we go about our week. There should be no question about who, where our allegiance is, who our alliance is with. It should be clear to those watching our lives that we are followers of Christ. That kind of clarity not only builds one another up, but it also emboldens us 
So we see a brother or a sister living boldly throughout the week. It builds us up and it emboldens us. And as the whole church does that together, we're strengthened and God is glorified. So in addition to building up, the church gathering should also be distinct. So look with me in verses, uh, starting in the second part of verse 33. Paul says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Well, here we go. One of the most controversial and contentious passages in all of Scripture. And there's much to say, and I'm not going to be able to say all of it. However, you are welcome to ask questions afterward if you would like further explanations. So, oftentimes the response to that verse, those couple verses there, are, hey, that was a cultural issue, right? Surely, Rob, that was a, that was a cultural issue that was isolated to Corinth. You wouldn't actually say that applies today, right? Well, here, here's the thing that I can't seem to get around. So, in verse 33, notice that, that Paul is teaching them that this is the practice in all the churches, He says, as in all the churches of the saints. not unique to Corinth or to Rome or to Jerusalem or to Ephesus. And he says something similar to Timothy in in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first than Eve. And look, to speak over the congregation. Remember, Paul is talking about speaking gifts here. And he says it should be done in an orderly way. And so they're not all to speak all at the same time. And so one person is supposed to speak over the congregation. And to speak over the congregation was inherently an authoritative thing. I remember being in high school and uh, occasionally a voice would come over the PA system and say something along the lines of, with the following students, please come to the office. And they start to list those names. And if your name was called, everyone in the class looks at you because they recognize you're about to grab your stuff, get up and go, and they're wondering what, why you're being called to the office. Maybe you're in trouble, I don't know. But what we couldn't do was just sit there and ignore it. That voice just came over, spoke over the whole school. It was authoritative. We, okay, they just called my name to the office. I've got to get up and go. If I don't, there's, there's going to be an issue. And so this is why Paul commands that, that hey, women... Be silent. Don't speak over the whole congregation because what that does is that conveys authority. And Paul is trying to point out that godly submission is a good and wonderful thing. In fact, it's part of God's original creation design. In Genesis, we see And he points this out in in verse 13 of that 1 Timothy passage. For Adam was formed first then Eve. Godly submission is a good thing. In fact, Jesus himself models it for us when he submits his earthly nature to the Father. He perfectly did this on on our behalf so that if we repent and believe, we are seen as having his perfect resume. He perfectly submitted to the Father. None of us have done that. We've all fallen short of that mark. Yet Christ does it perfectly. It says all who would turn from their sin and embrace him as Lord and Savior receive his perfect resume. And he takes their sinful resume 
And so when it comes to the church, to reverse the authority submission structure that God has baked into creation would be to undermine God's design for men and women. And the gathered church is where God's design should be most clearly displayed. It should be here where we, where we rejoice in God's design, where we see it. And so, lest we're tempted to think, think Paul's unique in this teaching, uh, we, we also see Peter saying something similar. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, that's further back in the New Testament there. So if you continue to flip to the right, you'll find 1 Peter chapter 3. And in, starting in verses 3, we'll look at verses 3 through 5. He says this. He says, do not let, he's speaking to the women, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And so women, submitting to those whom God has placed over you is a way that you can demonstrate your trust and your hope is in God. Notice that he says in verse 5 there, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. At bedtime, uh, we, we have a routine with our kids and Though that routine tends to get longer and longer as they decide that they want to stay up later and later. And one of the things that's been added into that routine, at least with our oldest, Finley, is that she loves, she has kind of a, a bunk bed type thing, so she's on the top bunk, and she loves to get on the top bunk and say, Daddy, let me jump to you. And so she, and she keeps telling me, go further back, go further back. And so I'm now as far back as I can get, and she jumps and she makes it. But her getting on top of that bed and saying, Daddy, let me jump to you, is a risky thing. Let's hope nothing negative happens. Let's hope she doesn't fall at any point. To date, she hasn't. But it's a beautiful thing because what she's saying is that, Daddy, I trust you to catch me. I trust you. I'm going to get up here. I'm going to jump. And this could be painful, but I trust you to catch me. And one of the ways, women, that you can say to, to God, your Father, that I trust you is by submitting to those whom he has placed over you. That's why Paul, or Peter says in that passage that a gentle and quiet spirit is an imperishable beauty. That it's very precious in God's sight. I'll be sad the day that Finley stops jumping from her bed into my arms. It's very precious to me. One of the ways that we can glorify God is by submitting to his design for men and women, especially in the gathered church. So to answer that hypothetical question of, is this just a, a cultural issue isolated to Corinth, I don't think that it was. I think it applies just as much today as it did when Paul wrote it to Corinth. And so now, getting, getting back to our text. Remember, Paul is talking about speaking gifts. He's, he's offering instruction around the speaking gifts. And he's already told two other groups in this passage to be silent. So he's not just picking on, on women here. He told that those who were uh, speaking in tongues, if there's not an interpreter, you be silent. We see, that, we see that in verse 28. And then those who are prophesying, when another begins, he says, all right, the first one, you now be silent. You see that in verse 30. 
And so these two groups, those who were speaking in tongues and those who were prophesying, were causing disruption in the church because they didn't know when to be silent. And they were unwilling to, to be silent. They wanted to build themselves up rather than the church. And so now Paul now addresses a third group, these, these women. And he says, please continue to uphold the gender distinctions that God has baked into the creation design. So in this case, do it through godly submission. Don't exercise your instructive speaking gifts in front of the whole congregation. Use it in its proper context. So that, let me, I always have to clarify, that does not mean that women aren't allowed to speak at all in the gathered church. It doesn't mean that you have to be holy mimes or learn sign language to ask each other how to get a cup of coffee. That, that's not at all what Paul is saying here. But he's saying from up front where the leading is going on, use those speaking gifts from up front, have those be qualified men. So it doesn't mean that you can't speak at all. For goodness sakes, we hope that you use your gifts to sing loudly, to encourage one another when we're talking with each other before and afterward. But it does mean to uphold God's design for male headship, which we saw touched on in 1 Corinthians 11 as well. And how is that done? It's by, by submitting to the speaking ministry of qualified men when they come up here. And it doesn't mean obeying everything that is said just because it's a qualified man up here speaking. Test everything against the scriptures. Sometimes I get it wrong. I hope that doesn't happen often. If it does, you should probably find somebody else to come up here and do the teaching. However, test everything. I say anyone who comes up here, test it all against the scriptures. And submit to it insofar as it is faithful to the text. So it's, it's not saying that you just need to follow blindly. It's also not saying that women are less capable or women aren't equipped with speaking gifts. It's simply saying that the church should be a beacon of clarity pertaining to God's creation order for humanity. So we come in here, there should be clarity about who is leading. Now, the question arises from, from verse 35. If you look there, verse 35, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, what about single women? That's the question that arises here. What about single women who don't have a husband at home? Well, John Calvin helpfully elaborates on this. He says, where Paul says husbands, he does not prohibit the women from consulting the prophets themselves if necessary. However, for, for all husbands are not equally competent to give an answer. So Calvin points out, hey, just because he says women consult your husbands, that doesn't mean that you can't go up to the person who is doing the teaching and ask for clarification. So go to your husband's first, but if you're single, then feel welcome to, to go up and ask questions. First off, not, not all husbands are competent to give an answer, so it doesn't mean that you need to just sit in the dark and not have an answer. But if you do have a husband, go to him first, ask. Hopefully the Lord has equipped him to give an answer. And if he doesn't have an answer, then come to the pastors. And if, if you aren't married, then you're welcome to go to the pastors. doesn't mean that you don't have access to us. And so all of that, again, more could be said, one of the most contentious passages in all of Scripture. But all of that to say that distinctions in the church actually promote orderly worship. And orderly worship... Paul makes the argument, is what builds up. So therefore, when we come together, the church should have distinctions. And distinctions, as we've said previously, are good. In fact, even in the Godhead, 
there is a distinction between the persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three equally God. But there's a, a distinction within the persons. And so church, let's be, let's be comfortable with God-ordained distinctions. Let's rejoice in God's design. Let's press into God's design. And yes, this will make us distinct from the world, but let's be comfortable with that. Because ultimately, that will glorify our king. And in our fallen state, men, we're inclined towards passivity. We're inclined to, to not lead the way God has prescribed for us. And in, our, fall, in the fallen, our fallen state, women are inclined towards grasping that authority. And so we each have to be aware of those things and submit ourselves to the design that God has given us. Men, to lead, to provide, and to protect. Women, to help, to nurture, and to cultivate. In this church, when we come together, Paul was advocating this for the Corinthian church, and he now advocates it for us. When the church comes together, there should be distinctions even among the genders, because that promotes orderly worship, and orderly worship is what builds up the body. So now, in addition to that, looking at verses 36 through 40, we see that the church gathering should reflect Scripture. So, Paul gets a little snarky here. This, this is part of the reason why I really like Paul, because he's willing to get snarky when he needs to. Verse 36, he says to the Corinthians, he said, was it from you that the word of God came? So he's saying, are you God? Did the word of God come from you? No. And then he says, or are you the only ones it has reached? So, okay, maybe you're not God. Maybe the word of God doesn't come from you, but are you the only ones who have it? And the implied answer is, is no. And so then he says, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command from the Lord. So here's the thing. If they understand God's word, if Paul's writing to them, he says, Corinthians, if you understand God's word, if, you're not, if God's word doesn't come from you and you're not the only ones who have it, but you say you understand it, then you should recognize that what I am sharing with you is, in fact, a command from the Lord. And he says, if anybody rejects that, then don't acknowledge that person as someone who speaks accurately God's word to his people. He says that uh, that person is not recognized. That word, not recognized, some translations also translate it as ignored. So, hey, if that person does not recognize that this is God's teaching, then just ignore him. Pay no attention to him. Don't follow that person's teaching. It's like someone who claims to know much about working out, but then when you ask them, hey, can you do a push-up? They have no idea what a push-up is. Probably shouldn't listen to that person when they come up with a workout regimen for you. Paul says if they are not willing to recognize that what he is teaching here is, in fact, God's word, then they should not be recognized as someone who can teach God's word. And then in verses 39 through 40, Paul closes out. He says, My brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. So he says, utilize these gifts, even the ones that seem to be contentious, but not at the expense of decency and order. God is a God of order. Our, our worship of him when we come together should reflect that order. So when he says earnestly desire to prophesy, Christian, you should earnestly desire to help others understand God's word and live in accordance to it. We've talked about definitions for prophesying and for tongues. Prophesying is spirit prompted. 
speaking of God's words in an instructive way. And so parents, that's especially true of you. As the Lord has given you children in your home to raise up, you have a prophetic ministry of bringing God's word to them in an instructive way. And all Christians should be engaged in this. We should be seeking and desiring the ability to help others understand God's word and live faithfully in light of it. But then he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So tongues aren't to be prohibited. However, Paul has made a, a strong case here that they are to be used in an appropriate way. So what does that look like? So that appropriate way, he lists at least four things. So in verse 22, we see an evangelistic use. He says tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers. So first thing, the way tongues are used are for evangelistic purposes. I said last week that it was to reach a people who otherwise would not have been reached because of a language barrier. Tongues allow the gospel to get to those people. And then we see in verse 27, no more than three total. It says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. Then the third thing is that no more than one at a time. Again in 27, he says, uh, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. And then the fourth thing is that an interpretation must be available. Verse 28, he says, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church. And so all the gifts that God has given to his people are meant for building up, even the contentious ones. However, we need to know how to properly use them. And Paul advocates for us that we should be using them in an orderly way because God is a God of order. And when we worship in an orderly way, then the body is built up. Our worship must reflect the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures show us clearly who God is. And if we ignore these commands, then we ourselves are to be ignored. Because it's no longer the, Bi- the God of the Bible that we're worshiping. It's the God of our own imagination that we've made up. And so when we gather, the way we worship should reflect the God we worship. He is a God of order. And so let us be a church that worships in an orderly and understandable way. This is one of the reasons why you see the same order of service week in and week out. And different churches will do it different ways. It's not to say that we are the only ones who are doing it right. Just saying we want to advocate for that order. And we hope other churches are also worshiping in an orderly way. It might look different than us. But they should be promoting order within the body. And look, if you're, if you're hurting today, you might be thinking, what in the world? does this passage have to do with me and my present circumstance? I would encourage you to go to the God of order who can make sense out of your pain. You might not get the answer immediately, but trust that he is, in fact, working. He is doing a billion things at any given moment, and we may only see two or three of them. Know that God is not a God who lives in chaos. He's a God of order who is orchestrating even the painful things in your life for your good, and for his glory, if you are a Christian. Then God is a God who builds up with his spirit and with his word. So therefore, let us be a church that seeks to build up one another. How? By using the spiritual gifts that God has equipped his people with to help us understand who God is and what he has called us to be. Who he is and how we are to live. These gifts are meant to build up one another by helping us understand those things. Hebrews 1 says, 
that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So look, if you're not a Christian, and you're even remotely curious about who Jesus is, first off, thank you for being here. We hope you continue to come back and feel welcome to come back. But if you're even remotely curious about who Jesus is, or excuse me, who God is, look no further than Jesus Christ. That's how God has most clearly spoken to his people. It says that he is the heir of all things. In Hebrews 1 verse 2. He's been appointed the heir of all things. So all those who would repent of their sin, turn away from that, and follow Christ, rest entirely on Christ, they too become the heir of all things because they are in Christ who is the heir. So I'd encourage you, if you're not a Christian today, turn away from your sin. Turn away from trusting in yourself. Rest in Christ and watch him bring order to your chaotic soul. He, he offers that to all who would believe on him. And church, may our worship always reflect this kind of orderly rest that God offers in his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this rest. Thank you for being a God of order. Lord, we do pray that we would be a people who rejoice in that order. That we'd be a people who submit ourselves to that order. That we'd be a people who are built up and edified by one another because we're using the gifts that you've equipped us with through your spirit to build up one another, to see who you are. Help us to do that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.